welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. I invite you to remain standing for the reading of the gospel today, which comes from Luke chapter 19. It is the story of Zacchaeus. And it is a familiar story to many. If you've spent any time within the life of the church, I would imagine that besides Amazing Grace and an old rugged cross, you know this song, Zacchaeus was a... See, you know the song, right? You know it. How does Zacchaeus know all that was going on? Look at the end. Let the text speak. At the end of chapter 18, Bartimaeus, according to another chapter, but there's a blind man by the road and Jesus notices him and says, what do you want me to do for you? So Jericho, we're going to talk a little more about why this is such a pivotal place to happen. Word spreads, I think, throughout Jericho. Jesus has opened the eyes of a blind man. Holy cow. It's got everybody's attention. And now we have the encounter between... The chief tax collector, Zacchaeus, and Jesus. Hear now the word of the Lord. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through town. A man there named Zacchaeus, a ruler among tax collectors, was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he couldn't because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus, who was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to that spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down at once. I must stay in your home today. So Zacchaeus came down at once, happy to welcome Jesus. Everyone who saw this grumbled, and they said, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Look, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anyone, I repay them four times as much. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too, pointing to Zacchaeus, is a son of Abraham, the one who came to save the least, the lost. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, and as you are, let us pray together. May your spirit, O God, stand between me and your people so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be shaped, formed, and molded into the good news of the gospel of Christ, in whose name we gather, in whose name we pray, and in whose name we will depart and seek to serve and to follow faithfully. And all of God's people did say, Amen. Amen. Jericho, so is anybody else OCD in here like I am? I've watched this the whole time. It's bothering me. Okay, now I can preach. Sorry. They tease me about this a lot because I have to have the spacing just right. So it's actually not straight still. So things just have to be just right. All right. The chief tax collector, Zacchaeus, had to have things lined up an exact certain way. He's a tax collector for the Roman government. There wasn't a Roman IRS code to which you could appeal. It was quite frankly, Zacchaeus, 
And whatever he could get out of Walt for taxing both sides of the cart, Walt, I'm going to tax you your left wheel and your right wheel and your hitch and your ox, then he could skim a little bit for his own personal gain. That's why he was so wealthy. He worked on commission. You want to talk about a really bad place. How would you like it if a tax collector worked on commission today? Oh, yeah, yeah, that got your attention, didn't it? Whoa. So Zacchaeus is in an incredibly advantageous position personally. He's also in an incredibly advantageous position geographically. As you move to the north and east out of Jerusalem, you actually go down in topography, in elevation, and you come to the northwestern part of the Dead Sea, and there's this fertile sort of valley along through En Gedi and Jericho, and it grows amazing, amazing dates, amazing almonds, amazing all kinds of herbs. There's actually what's known as a Jericho banana. When we go to the Holy Land, we will stop. There's a wadi or a dry stream bed that's been built up that kind of runs through modern day of Jericho. And as you drive into town, you're going to the place to eat. And then you go by and everybody's coming to Jericho. And what are they asking? They want to see two things, right? Where are the walls of Jericho? And where's that tree? Where's the sycamore tree? Well, you drive down corner of the main street. This is what the tree looks like today. Obviously, it's not the exact same tree we don't think that Zacchaeus got into. But it gives you an idea as you drive by. There's a church that commemorates this location as well that's right there. Now, you can see the glare that's on the window. This is actually my wife Sean's picture as we drove by. I was uh, giving instructions and she was taking pictures. But that's a sycamore tree. It commemorates that spot. And you sit down together and dessert is dates, Jericho dates, and Jericho bananas. I would tell you that um, it's not exact. Jericho banana isn't exactly like Alice Pope's banana pudding, but it ain't far from it. It is just an amazing, there's something unique about it. It was a major hub of commerce for that reason. So if you were leaving Egypt, coming from Africa, and you're on the western side of the Red Sea, and then you come up, you're going to come along the Jordanian mountains, the Judean desert. It's, this, it's the buckies, if you would, of the Old Testament in Jericho. All this commerce would happen. And then you would go from that place, you go further north into the Mesopotamian area. It was on the trade route. It's an incredibly popular place to be. You can also see the ruins of what's excavated from the walls of the ancient city of Jericho. Now, ironically, when we think of a city, we think of something big, but literally, that excavation site is really no more larger than the perimeter of the physical buildings of this campus. It's not a large area. But Zacchaeus had it good. He probably heard about what Jesus did healing the blind man. Word got out, and Zacchaeus wants to see who Jesus is. When I read that text, I almost come in, into the verse where Jesus says he's going to, the, to your house today. I almost said it twice because I'm going to your house today. I'm going to your house today. One of the major themes is that when you break bread with somebody, it means they're acceptable, they're okay. And so the easiest way I know to do this, and this will probably upset just about everybody in the room, okay? I know I'm about to do this, okay? 
I'm very clear that what I'm about to say is going to get your attention and irritate most everybody, all right? But if you're in the crowd and you see Zacchaeus, the easiest parallel I can tell you about how would the crowd feel about Zacchaeus would be this. If you're a Democrat, Jesus said he's going to go eat at Donald Trump's house, and if you're a Republican, he's going to go eat at Nancy Pelosi's house. Everybody upset now? <laughs> right, he was, from the lens of people, he was not a figure that people would like. He just wasn't. And this is what stirred up so much angst in the heart of the people. Folks, I want, to, I want to tell you that I think there's sort of four basic things that happen. But before we get to those four basic things, I want to ask you this question. Why do you think Zacchaeus was looking for Jesus? In the spirit of our witness series, we believe that we need Zacchaeus people in our lives because we need people who are searching for, who are looking for who Jesus is. Now, I would dare say that one of the things that we must avoid in the life of the church is to be the crowd that so sits in circles that we don't look outwardly for people who are searching. And all of our focus is on, were the hymns fast enough? Did you like them? Is the church too cold? Is it too warm? Did you have a parking spot? Was the coffee stale? Was it good? Were the kids behaved or not? When the reality is we ought to have this burning in our bones when we leave saying, who doesn't know and who's looking for this Christ? You see, the world, I suggest to you, is looking for hope in so many ways. This is the way that Shane Lopez said years ago, um, the tiny ripple of hope you set in motion can change the path of someone's life. Let me say that again. The tiny ripple of hope you set in motion can change the path of someone's life. I contend to you that the world is looking for hope. And the problem is everything of social media and media is making a capitalistic transactions on your fears. We need to be about hope and providing hope and looking for the people who are climbing the trees. I'm going to tell you where the sermon's going to end up. The role of the church, my friends, is to plant more trees so that people can get to a place to see who Christ is. Four things I want to lift up specifically that I believe that we need to learn from Zacchaeus about our life together. First, there is an internal hunger that is addressed here. Something changed inside of Zacchaeus that made him want to risk being amongst the crowds of the people and just seeing who Jesus was. There was something internal. I believe he was looking for hope. He had heard who Jesus was. He realized that all of his efforts and all of his accumulation of things never really satisfied the hungering of his soul. He was looking to see who Jesus was. What about you? Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. Two ways I'm going to ask these questions. What about your internal hunger to know who Jesus is? To know who God's love is made flesh 
in this wounded healer of Galilee in Jesus Christ? Do you hunger for it? And number two, are you looking for others who may need help in this search? Voltaire once said that each of us is created with a Christ-like void within our heart that only the shape of the Son of God can fill. Only the shape of the Son of God can fill. I would contend to you that our world has so many fake saviors. Whenever you travel the Holy Land, people will say, oh, this is the real thing, this is the real thing. And I'll say something to somebody about, okay, is that really what it is? And they said, it's a genuine replica of the real thing. Friends, the world is filled with genuine replicas of the real thing, but it's not. In this Christ-like void in our hearts, we move through the world and we stuff it with busyness in our calendars or the latest book or the common phrase or we let this hungering echo as we see that everybody is posting on social media what they think they want you to believe about their lives. When was the last time someone ever posted, hey, just had a really bad day, got in an argument, made two mistakes? They don't do that, right? We post on social media this fabricated mask that's the problem with our culture. It's what's infecting our kids so much. Because they think everybody's life is perfect and nobody has any problems. One thing I hope to dispel this week in spending time with our youth and the new army is life sucks. Right? And there's lots of crap that's happening. That's the language I'm going to use with the kids. If it bothers you, I'm sorry, but kids need to know. Life isn't perfect and Jesus is with you. And none of your friends have it all together either, no matter how much they think they do or they smile. Below the surface of the facade, they've got the same struggles that you do. And we never really get out of being in the cafeteria in third grade with our lunch tray wondering who are we going to sit with. No matter how you look like you've got to put together or the car you drive or your address, below that surface you still are insecure. You're still asking those questions of the significance of your life. And nothing's going to fill that void internally but the shape of the Son of God, Jesus the Christ. Number two, external. Not only do you have this internal hunger you have to deal with, but you have to ask external circumstances. You have to do something different to be somebody different. You can't stay in the same place and expect everything else to change. You've heard that phrase. I'm sure you have. That... That literally, um, if you expect to do the very same thing, but expect different results, it is, say it louder, it's what? Insanity. insanity, right? What is insanity? Insane. You have lost your sanity if you do the exact same thing and you expect different results. You have to be somewhere different to be somebody different. Zacchaeus was willing to risk being in the midst of the crowds and also climbing the tree. He had to put himself in a different place. What about you? Are you putting yourself in exactly the same place, the exact same friends, the exact same habits? Is your Bible still got a good layer of dust on it? Or do you dust it off and read it? If you don't change those habits and where you put yourself, don't expect anything else to change. But if you'd like to see something different, change where you are. 
then you can change who you are. Externally, what about the people that you know that need help? And this is why I say the church needs to be in the business of planting more trees. It's a metaphor. Helping people to see and hunger, who is this Christ? I once heard it said this way, you may be the only Bible that some people read, you may be the only Christ that some people see. All right? So what are you doing to bear witness to this love of Christ? And where are you positioning and placing yourself? And who do you see? Are you like the crowd that just simply turns your back on the world and huddles in? Or are you recognizing who's looking? Thirdly, there's a personal encounter that happens. And faith in the Christian faith is never private. But friends, it must be personal. I've said this several times here. It's getting old, I know, but going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to Whataburger makes you a hamburger. Right? Church is not the place that we come to practice our faith. Church is the pep rally for us. We come together to encounter one another, the work of the Holy Spirit, and the door goes both ways. It opens to welcome us in, to be encouraged, enriched, and poured into. It opens outward for us to go out in the world so that regardless of what's happening, Christ might be seen in us. But the only way that happens is a personal relationship with Christ, a personal devotion. And whenever I pray to God alone, God always agrees with me. But when I pray to God in community, God doesn't always agree with me. And this is why we need each other. You see, this personal relationship is in the context of community. Jesus sees and seeks Zacchaeus. Are you noticing this in the text? I mean, short man, had to climb, affluent area. All these things are sort of contrasts that happen. Zacchaeus is actually trying to move to a place to see Jesus, but it's Jesus who sees Zacchaeus and calls him out. Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree. Now, if you're reading the NIV version between verse 7 and verse 8, Zacchaeus comes out of the tree at the end of verse 6. Um, Jesus welcomes him gladly. Everybody starts muttering and complaining in the crowd. Verse 8 says, but Zacchaeus stood up. It gives the imagery that when there was this encounter with Christ and Christ welcomed Zacchaeus into his presence, if he stood up, what must he have done when he got into the presence of Christ? He must have knelt, right? He fell to his knees. Can you see that? A man despised by everybody who risked everything. Christ recognizes him. He comes out of the tree and he falls at Jesus' feet. He stands up and he says, Lord, look. Look, this personal thing that happens now leads into the fourth and most important. He is a different person. This simple encounter with Christ is a simple person. If you read in the text, it tells you clearly after he stands up, what Zacchaeus says is, Lord, look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. His life is different from the encounter with Christ. What about your life? Is your life different because of your encounter with Christ? Not because of what you have done. 
And one of the things that I think is really important for us to recognize is many, many folks in the world think, well, I need to get my life together and everything organized, then I can come to church. I heard it said in devotional this past week, the church must overcome thinking that it is a warehouse for people who've got it all together. It needs to be a factory producing people to change the world. And part of our Methodist heritage that is so amazing is the first place that John Wesley bought was a foundry. Think about this imagery. And it was called foundry, right? This imagery is raw products come in to the foundry. They go through a transformative process, heat, pressure, etc. But what's put out is a product, and that product is not just sort of a free foam. They don't just sort of take these raw products and let them melt them into whatever they want to be. No, the raw products that come into a foundry are shaped into a mold, external circumstances they form, they take the shape of that mold, and they're sent out into the world for the purpose they were cast in image. Can you catch that? That maybe you and I would be like that, that we come in being open and willing to be cast and molded into shape into what God wants to do in the world through you and me to share the love of Christ. We got to be willing to be different. And we have to understand that people who have not encountered the love of Christ beyond the walls of the church and in the world will not act, behave, or look, or sound like we do. Let us be careful that in those moments we don't become the crowd that simply scorns and turns uh, our back or a um, sarcastic tone to the world that's hungering, but engages that conversation in a way that recognizes people are hungering for hope. Internal, external, personal, indifferent. This is the lesson of Zacchaeus. Now I want to close by something to, to let you know what I'm going to be sharing tonight with, um, as we open up worship about UM Army. It's going to be the launch. Of, our theme is connected. And um, I wanted to try and let them know how I felt connected. And I want the youth to know and I want you to know that the connectedness that God seeks for us is beyond our ability. God does this just like we see Jesus calling out Zacchaeus before we're even aware of it. My sister was the first female police officer in College Station. They called her the mud dauber because on her first call, she had to chase down a high school kid and they got into one of the bar ditches and by the time they came out of the bar ditch, they were both covered with mud. And so the name that stuck with her was Palmer the mud dauber. It was Thanksgiving after that first year and I was um, uh, in my eighth grade year of high school. Um, most of you know that eighth grade boys, really our brains aren't connected to our bodies, right? We'll just leave that there, and you know that that's true. My sister, I'm out back, we're playing basketball, and the guys in the neighborhood are saying, oh, that's my sister. She, oh, is she the cop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then Janie comes out, and Janie's a better athlete than I am. I can't put two feet together. I'm feeling intimidated and, and whatnot, and there's sort of some bantering back and forth. My friends say, hey, does she cuff people? Does she know how to cuff people? I said, yeah, but she couldn't cuff me. And my mouth made statements that my body couldn't back up. And before I knew it, I was handcuffed to a four-inch diameter oak tree in the backyard. And my sister walked inside. 
And there I sat, an eighth grade boy looking at my friends, cuffed to a tree. I said horrible things I shouldn't have said. Do you know how embarrassing it is in front of your friends to hear your mom open the door and say, Janie, go uncuff your brother from that tree. (laughs) And she did. I ran upstairs. I was mad. I was so mad. Now, I wasn't going to come down no matter what. But then my mother stopped saying, Bert, let's go. It's dinner time. We're having Thanksgiving dinner. We're having it early. Bert, come on. And then she said, James Burton Palmer, Jr., get down here now. And my mother may be of small stature, but she packs a strong punch. And so um, the parsonage where we lived had that um, split staircase where you come down a halfway and there's a landing and then you traverse back. And so I came down halfway and I kneeled to look across the opening towards the dining. I didn't want anything to do with my sister. I didn't see her there. I looked this way. She wasn't over here. She wasn't over there. I thought I was safe. And so I stepped all the way down, but at that parsonage, when you hit the bottom floor, it was parquet wood floor. At the bottom of the staircase where all that weight stopped, it would always creak. So I hit the creaky spot, and I thought she'd be coming this way, and I wasn't about to go through that doorway. I was ready to sprint. What I didn't know is at the bottom of the staircase, she was hiding in the closet. She weighed less than me. Didn't even hear the door open, but what I felt is she threw her arms from behind me and clasped them like this. And she said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I hurt you. I love you. Please forgive me. Even an eighth grade boy whose, whose elevator of hormones and emotions don't connect and don't go all the way up knew exactly what that moment was about. And I turned around and said, I'm sorry too. Please don't ever handcuff me into a tree in front of my friends again. (laughs) God has nothing to forgive, nothing to ask for forgiveness for. With my friends, you want to know what grace looks like? The love of Jesus? It's like my sister. Hides at the bottom of the staircase. Waits to hear your footstep creak against the floor. And before you know it, the arms of a gentle Savior are wrapped around you, and they're saying, I love you. And the hope that you have been looking for, the hope that this world is looking for, is ready to find us. I ask, I plead with you, let Christ find you, so that through you, you can help others be found and be loved. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the ways that your love is so resilient and amazing and never depends upon where we are or what we think or what we believe that we can see. We ask for forgiveness for all the ways that we have um, focused more upon being critical of others than planting trees and helping people move into your presence. So help us depart from this place inspired to be a part of the beautiful work that your kingdom building is. Thank you for loving and embracing each of us. And give us a hunger and heart to plant trees and to help others find you. Because we know they're looking for hope. And in Christ, there is hope that nothing else in this world can provide. 
For this we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people did say, Amen. Amen.